0: All right, y'all can have a seat. (laughs) Hey, before I uh, start my message, I want to give y'all a a quick kind of building update where we are in our plan to move forward on a new home uh, for ministry. Of course, uh, we're building a facility because a facility uh, will facilitate ministry and life change. Our hope as a church is that God would use us uh, to give Every man, woman, and child in greater Hutto, uh repeated opportunities to uh, hear and respond to the gospel. And so, like I said, we are moving forward on our new home for ministry. We have about a year and a half left in our contract to be able to stay in this building. Uh, we don't own this building in case you're new. Uh, we, they bought it from us and gave us some money and some land. And so uh, we have to be out of here in a year and a half. Uh, which makes us want to build quickly. And so we've been working hard to reduce the cost. Like we said uh, a few months ago, it, the cost of the building came in significantly higher than we'd hoped for. And we've been able to reduce about $600,000 on the cost of the building without really impacting its usefulness for us in ministry. But there's still a considerable gap. Uh, but after a lot of prayer and, you know, looking into it and really Looking at every option, uh, we are still moving forward, and we're gonna, as a church, step out on faith. And so we would ask for y'all, as our church family, to pray first. Pray that God would grant us favor with the city as we get all the kind of OKs we need from them, and all you know, all the hoops that we have to jump through. Uh, with the city and the county and others so that we can break ground as soon as possible on our building. Pray for favor with the lenders as we go to banks. They've been really uh, great with us, but you know, it's a crazy time and interest rates are high. And so we want a, uh, a miracle interest rate. And so pray that God would grant us a miracle interest rate on this loan. Pray for, for provision to make up the gap. Uh, you know, as an elder team, we feel okay with, good about borrowing up to about two million dollars, but that still leaves us about a million dollars short. And so pray that God would uh, help us make up that gap and pray, of course, for your own part in this. As some of you uh, are newer to the church and have not committed, did not go through uh, the building campaign that we had, uh, pray for yourself as well. And so why don't we pray right now and then I'll get into our message. Let's pray together. Father, first we pray that that we would rest in confidence uh, that you are the God who provides Uh, God, that we would rest in confidence in our own lives. Lord, there are men and women here who are struggling financially. They are struggling with their careers, with their job, with unemployment. Lord, I pray that they would have confidence to rest in You. And that, Lord, that You would step in with Your mighty arm and that You would provide for them richly. Lord, for those who are looking for a job, I pray that You would provide employment. For those who are underemployed, Lord, I pray that You would uh, provide more uh, so that uh, with the abundance You give, uh, they could be investors in Your kingdom. And uh, Lord, I pray for us as a church family that we would be faithful with all the resources, uh, people and gifting and money and facility that you have given us. And Lord, our prayer is that, Lord, that as we rest in your provision, that you would be the one, not us, you would be the one to move in hearts that we wouldn't twist arms, but that you would touch hearts and provide what we need as we move forward uh, in this new home you're providing for us. We give this to you through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, uh, you can see from the slide that we are in a new series. And so this morning, uh, we lit the prophet's candle uh, for the first week of our celebration of Advent. Uh, the prophet's candle reminds us that the prophets of the Old Testament were all waiting and hoping for one to come who would be the light of the world. In fact, Isaiah prophesied that in the future, God will honor Galilee. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And so the prophets of the Old Testament lived out their entire lives. They lived out their days in anticipation of the advent of the Messiah. You see, the glory of God, the presence of God had departed from the temple before the destruction of Jerusalem, before the destruction of the temple, before Israel's captivity in Babylon. And then upon their return, 70 years later, the exiles came to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. But it's interesting to note and sad that the glory and presence of God did not return to the temple in the way that it had to Solomon's temple. Yet the Old Testament ends with the promise that from Malachi 3.1, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold He is coming. And guys, there are so many promises in the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament is absolutely packed full of promises, but for God's people, few were more precious than this one. In fact, 400 years later after this promise was made, we find both Simeon and Anna waiting in the temple in anticipation of the fulfillment of this promise. Longing for the redemption of Israel to come. Longing for the consolation of Israel to arrive at the temple. They were waiting for the arrival for the advent of the Messiah who was coming to keep all of the promises that God had ever made to His people. In fact, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul declares of Him that all the promises of God find their yes in Him. So if you ever wondered, why should God answer my prayer? Like, why should God keep this promise that He made so long ago? all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And so this week, as we begin a new series for Advent, I thought it would be, I don't know, beneficial to explore a few of those promises that find their yes and their amen in Jesus the Messiah. And I'm calling this series Benediction because we'll be studying a few of the benedictions that are found in Scripture. And if you don't know what a benediction is, that's okay because we're going to be studying that too. And so I'm just wondering, you know, show of hands, how many of you grew up in a church tradition where at the end of the service, a priest or a pastor would come to the front and lift his hands up and over the congregation and as they were dismissed, pray a short scriptural blessing. How many of y'all grew up in a tradition like that? Okay, well, that's called a benediction. It's from the Latin bene, which means well or good, and to serve, which means to speak. So literally, a benediction is simply to speak well-being over someone. Like a benediction is simply a blessing. The Tyndall Bible Dictionary says of it that it's a pronouncement of the favor of God upon an assembled congregation. Although the practice of of benediction is often regarded merely as a ritual of dismissal, it is actually a pronouncement of God's gracious favor to be given by His ministers on the authority of God's Word. In fact, it was the great reformer John Calvin who gave direction to all his churches in Geneva for the blessing of Numbers chapter 6 verses 24 to 26 to be prayed over each congregation on the lord's day at the end of the service and before him it was martin luther who believed that it was the blessing from number 6 24 to 26 that jesus himself prayed over his disciples in luke 24:50 Right before his own ascension into heaven. And so I thought as we kicked off this series, what better place to start than that blessing from Numbers chapter 6. So I'd ask if you are able to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll be reading Numbers 6, 22 to 27. It says that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put My name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. This is the Word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, before we go any further into the series or into the sermon, I thought I would share with you kind of my guiding principle for the entire series, and here it is. The advent of Christ moved the benediction, the blessing from the realm of aspiration to actuality. The benediction moved I'm sorry, the advent moved benediction. From aspiration to actuality, to which you may respond, Huh? Like, I don't get it. Like, what does that even mean? Well, what I mean by this is that a benediction or a blessing, like number six, 24 to 26, on its own, left to itself, may sound really nice and make you feel good. But it doesn't hold up in the light of reality. I mean, think about it. Left to itself it's just something to hope for. Not something to have. I mean, in light of everything we know about the holiness of God and everything we know about the total depravity of all of mankind, how is it possible... For God to do for anyone what is promised in these verses. And I mean, the bottom line is if you read just the scripture leading up to Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26, leading up to this declaration made by Yahweh in the wilderness to Moses, you're confident by this point of two things God is uncompromising in his holiness God is uncompromising and man is unredeemable I mean those are the two things that just jump off not just the page every page of the Old Testament we are without hope God is holy and we are not now, for a 21st century audience, this seems really foreign and even offensive. Because for a modern audience, as I read the blessing of number six, they can hear these words and yet feel no tension at all. Like we should feel tension. Like we should be people who know more of the Bible than three verses. Like we should know what the Bible says clearly about God. The Bible is God's revelation of Himself. Like we go to the Scripture to know what God is like, but it also shows us what we're like. It's like a mirror that shows us the true condition of our heart. And so when we read the blessing of Numbers 6, we should feel that tension. Like how is this possible? The prophet Habakkuk says of the Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Like God turns His face away from sin. At the same time, the prophet Isaiah says of mankind in general that your iniquities have made a separation between you And your God and your sins have hidden His face from you. So once again, the question is, how can a God who is too pure to look on evil, a holy God whose face is hidden because of our multiplied sins, how can that God make His face shine upon us and lift up His countenance to us? Well, the answer is that the arrival of Jesus made it possible. The advent of Christ moved the promise in this benediction from mere aspiration to actuality. It's not just something we hope for. It's something we have. Like we read this and we know as believers Like this is true of us right here and right now. It shouldn't be. It goes against logic and reason and reality, but this is true of every Christian in this room right here and right now. God is still uncompromising in His holiness. But mankind is no longer unredeemable. Because the Redeemer has come. And that's what this season is all about. So let's take a moment and look at the content of the blessing from number 6 that we can claim because of the advent of Jesus Christ. It begins, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his son saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, So the first thing that is obvious from the context of this passage, as you read all the verses leading up to it, is that the Lord is the one who initiates the blessing. Like this was not an ongoing conversation. Like Aaron didn't go to God and ask for this. He didn't show up at the tent of meeting and say, hey, you know, I have this idea for the people of Israel. I'd really like them to be blessed by you. And I'm wondering, like, what do we need to do? How do we work that out? I've written some things down. I just want to run them by you. No. God came to him and said, I want you, sinner, maker of the golden calf, just a few months earlier, I want you to place my blessing... On my people. And here is exactly how you do it God is the initiator. He always is. Romans chapter 3 makes it very clear that no one seeks God, God always takes the first step. God seeks us before we seek Him. And so God approaches Moses and instructs him to inform his brother Aaron, the high priest, the maker of the golden calf, that He is going to use him to bless the people of Israel. And God basically says, this is exactly how you do it. Use these precise words. Don't deviate. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. These are not words of a petition prayed by Aaron for what he wants. They are proclamation of what God intends to do for His people. Three simple lines. Six profound promises. Each promise building on the previous one and kind of in a sense upping the blessing as it were. Like it begins as a little trickle and it becomes a torrent. It becomes a mighty river. Michael Glodo writes of the blessing, the lines of the blessing are like the waves of the sea breaking farther and farther during a rising tide, raising the people's uh, faces progressively upward. I mean, think about it. These are not simply words of well wishing, like, have a good day, you know, or sweet dreams, kids. Or be safe, safe travels. No, these are God's words. As Glodo continues, God's words are not ever mere words. God's words are His actions. God does things by speaking. When it is God who speaks, His Word defines reality. As God speaks through His priest to His redeemed people, The blessing is more than just well wishes for His people. God's spoken Word assures His people that it will be so. So what's going to be so? What's the blessing? Well, the first thing is that the Lord bless you and keep you. I mean, this is a promise from God to provide for His people. It is a promise of divine favor in every sphere of life. Like in the Father's wisdom and in the Father's grace, He is going to provide for us everything we need in just the right portion and at just the right time as we wait for Him. And of course, this is also, the Lord bless you and keep you, this is also a promise from God to protect and preserve His people. Like God will guard His people from every enemy And He has His work cut out for Him because the greatest enemy for Israel were not the Canaanites. They weren't the Philistines. The greatest enemy of Israel was their own hearts. So in this promise, it's like God is saying, hey guys, you can't keep yourselves, but I can keep you. Like you can't hold on to yourself, but I will hold on to you. You are promise breakers, but I am a promise keeper. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Okay, this is where it gets, for me, unbelievably awesome. What it says here is that God doesn't simply appoint rulers or angelic messengers to do His bidding in providing for and protecting His children. I mean, that alone, by the way, would be an awesome promise, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? If you knew that as you prayed, God would send angels or human government to meet that need or the church. I mean, that would be awesome. But God goes even further. God promises Himself hear this, the Lord Himself is the blessing. That's what God gives to Israel in this blessing. That's what God gives to the church in this blessing. What is the best thing that God could ever give you? A better job? New house? Being debt free? A wife, a husband, a child? Can God ever give anything greater than Himself? And that's what He promises to His people in these verses. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. As a Hebrew metaphor, the shining face is a pledge of God's special favor. We read it in Psalm 80. Restore us, O God. Let Your face shine that we might be saved. So a shining face indicates God's favor. And a shining face, a beaming face, is also a promise of God's delight. Like, have you ever seen anyone's face shine? Have you ever seen anyone's face light up? Come on, parents. Come on, Grandpa and Grandma. I mean, when I show up at my children's house and that door opens and I hear those words... From my three grandkids just down the street, Papa, Papa, Papa. Like, it's the, guys, it's the best thing ever. Like, I I had kids just so I could have grandkids. All right. My kids are great. My grandkids are amazing. Right? Because I don't have to be with them all the time. But man, there's, guys, there's nothing like hearing those words and seeing them running to you. And, My face lights up. I mean, just look at Zach and Lizzie as they hold their little boy John. And you'll see someone whose face lights up. Hear Pastor Michael speak of his grandchildren. And you'll see someone's face light up. This is the heart of blessing. The thought, the idea that God delights in us so much that His face shines whenever He sees us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 18, 19, God rescued me because He delighted in me. Like, Can you imagine God delighting in you? I mean, it should utterly confound you. If it comes easy for you to have the idea that, of course, God delights in you, you're missing the point. Like, There's no way possible that God would delight in you. I mean, I know you just a little bit. and (laughs) And I know me very well. And there's just no way. How is this even possible? And yet the Scripture confirms it. I mean, guys, understand, this is what every, every kid longs for, right? From their own father. To know that your dad delights in you. To know that you're important to him. To know that you matter to him. To see your father's face light up when you enter the room. Would there ever be a greater blessing than that? Well, yeah. The thought that our Heavenly Father for some way that confounds us. The thought that He delights in us. The Lord make His face to shine upon us and be gracious to you. Like the shining face of God bestows grace. We read of the king in Proverbs 13, uh, 16. In the light of the king's face there is life. And in His favor there's like the clouds that bring the spring rain. When the face of God lights on His children, blessing follows. But guys, it gets even better. Like the tide of God's blessing keeps rising. The waves come higher and higher. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. You see, for God to lift up His countenance Involves God, the maker of all things, giving his children his undivided attention. I mean, did you even get that from your earthly father? I mean, side note, moms and dads, put down your phones when you're talking to your children. Let them see their Father's eyes. Like we get the undivided attention of God. Like you read throughout the Psalms that this is the greatest longing of every psalmist. That the face of God would shine on them and the greatest fear of every psalmist is that the Father would somehow, for some reason, because of their sin, turn His face from them. Psalm 34.15 says that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. Now, I especially love in the Numbers 6 blessing that the word you is in the singular. Meaning that God's blessing is for not just a crowd of people, Israel or the church, but for every individual child of God, every individual believer in Christ. This is the blessing that we get. God is paying attention. To his children, to their needs, to their fears. Like, what a great promise for anyone who feels lost in the crowd or insignificant in this world. This promise is why, for so many Christians, Psalm 139 tends to be their favorite psalm. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my laying down. You are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it all. You have enclosed me in behind and before and laid Your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from Your Spirit? And where can I flee from Your presence? If I ascend to heaven, You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, You are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there Your hand will lead me and Your right hand will take hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night even in the darkness, it is not dark to you. And the night is as, as bright as day. Darkness and light are alike to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So what's the best thing God can give? What the heart of blessing is a face-to-face relationship with the Creator of the universe. Now, if you were to read most people's social media posts that include the hashtag blessed, you would conclude that God has nothing more to offer than what you can accomplish on your own by hard work and a good resume. But understand this, God's definition of of blessing is greater than you could ever imagine because the Lord Himself is the blessing. So that years later, after this was given, 1,500 years later, Paul could write to the church of Philippi, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Understand there's also a cause and effect relationship with each of these blessings. Each line involves God's action and the consequence of that action. So what is the consequence of God lifting up His countenance upon His people? Well, He will give you His peace. Shalom. A word that means total well-being, human flourishing. Is there anything greater that God can give than Himself? Because shalom exists when God is present with His people. You have this sense, like, don't you? It comes in waves, but it's like this sense of rightness. This sense of wholeness. Because there's a reality of rightness. There's a reality of wholeness behind that. And so God concludes His instruction to Aaron with these words of explanation about what is actually happening each and every time He gives this blessing. He says, So you shall they put My name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. To put one's name upon something is to give it a distinctive mark of ownership. Like, think about, think about Andy writing his name on Woody's boot in Toy Story, right? Like, what was he doing? This is my toy. This is my favorite toy. And so, Andy, during the, I'm sorry, Woody, during the course of the the movie would kind of lean over and look at his boot and see that name see andy's name fading on his boot and knowing that he belonged to someone that's what god does here like christian that's what he's done with you he has placed his name upon you christ one and the blessing and in this blessing we are stamped afresh with the name of the Lord. The Lord is the one who initiates the blessing. And understand, the Lord is the one who actually does the blessing. He's the one who blesses. Like you catch this clearly in the repetition of God's name over and over and over. The Lord bless you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up His countenance to you. And just in case you somehow missed it, he sums up the end of this teaching with this statement, I, like I myself, like it's in the emphatic in the Hebrew, I myself will bless them. Like the best that the priests could do was pronounce the blessing. They could not bestow it. They were heralds, like a pastor. Honored heralds. To speak of spiritual realities. So how can you, Christian, position yourselves to receive this blessing? Well, here's the good news. God gives it freely. He grants it freely. He does it out of grace. To which you have to respond, how? Like, how is that possible in light of everything we know about God's holiness and our sinfulness? How is this blessing prayed over the nation of Israel for 1500 years before the birth of Christ? How is this blessing possible? Like, what did God have to do to provide the blessing of Numbers 6 for sinners like us? Guys, well, this is what you need to understand. Understand that our blessing came through a curse. Jesus took our curse to give us His Father's blessing. That's the most important thing I can tell you today. Jesus took our curse to give us His Father's blessing. Galatians 3 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. And so just in closing, meditate on this. Did the Father bless Jesus and keep Him? while He was dying on the cross? No. No. He did not. Did the Father make His face shine upon Jesus while He was on the cross? No. He did not. Did the Father turn His face toward Jesus while He was on the cross and give Him peace? No. The very words of Jesus from the cross were, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As one scholar explains it, as Jesus lifted his eyes toward heaven for the first time in all eternity, there was no answering light from the Father's face. Even the sun turned away. It's countenance from Jesus as if the universe itself would no longer bear to look upon Him. At that moment for Jesus, there was no peace. He was bruised for our iniquity. He was broken for our sin. He was abandoned for our faithlessness. He was cursed for our blessing. And so church, all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And that's what the Advent is all about. In the Advent, we understand that because of what Christ did, He moved like the benediction of number six from the realm of mere aspiration to actuality, from something we simply hope for to something we can have. Second Corinthians four, six states this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ the glory of God has returned to his temple let's pray father as we uh, celebrate advent and kind of prepare our hearts for this season and think about Christmas and gift giving and all that kind of stuff Lord let us never forget the cost of our blessing. Like this table that we stand at and come to every Sunday reminds us that Jesus bore our curse so that we could have His Father's blessing. That on the cross, Jesus was treated like we deserve to be treated because of our sin. So that for all eternity, we might be treated as only He deserves. And that is why it says in Scripture in that great Christmas hymn that God has given Him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, thank You for what You alone could do The dilemma was not on Your part, Lord. We deserved judgment and hell and You would have been righteous to damn the entire human race. But in Your grace, You sent Your Son to bear the curse and punishment for our sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We pray through Christ our Lord that You would bless this table and its elements That we would not take them haphazardly or foolishly out of just rote or tradition. But that as we step up to this table, we would be examining our hearts and remembering the presence. Even now, we pray. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.